Well, I have the pleasure and honor of getting a chance to just share some stuff that's stuff, uh, share some truth that hopefully is, is not just on my heart, but maybe it's on your heart as well. And um, so Tom asked if I would preach today, especially since he just got back yesterday at like 1230, hadn't seen his kids all week, you know, was sheltering from a storm. And uh, I said, no problem. Um, so I want to talk about lettuce, right? So I brought, I, you probably thought there was going to be something cool in here, right? But it's just lettuce, right? Everybody needs some lettuce in their life, right? Um, I want to tell you a little bit about lettuce. Lettuce is good for four things. Who likes lettuce in here? Yeah, both my daughters, they, don't want, they pretty much want plain burgers or plain cheeseburgers, but they always want lettuce. Isn't that interesting? Lettuce just makes everything a little better. Did you know that lettuce is actually really good for you? Uh, it's good for bone strength. It says lettuce is a source of vitamin K, which helps strengthen bones. Consuming adequate amounts of vitamin K can also reduce your, your risk of bone fracture. There you go. How about hydration? Water makes up over 95% of raw lettuce. As a result, eating lettuce hydrates the body. Although drinking liquids is necessary, water in foods can also significantly contribute to hydration. And we all need more water so that we can stay hydrated, right? How about improved vision? When I turned 40 years old, I realized that it's, 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 it's supposed to be my best years, and I feel like it is, but my vision is going. Does anyone feel that way sometimes? You're like, last year, for instance, I can't even read the back of that, that wall. Um, but the thing is, is that if I have more lettuce in my diet, and I love salad, by the way, um, and my girls love salad. We taught them at a young age, you're just going to love salad because we have salad for every meal. Um, but this leafy vegetable also improves your vision. It's a source of vitamin A, which plays a role in your eye health. And of course, this is the most important, it improves your sleep. Any of you uh, get less than six hours of sleep on most nights? Yeah, all the teenagers over here. They're like, we go to bed around like two and get up at two in the afternoon in the summer. But during school year, you have to be up at a certain time. It's improved sleep. Extracts of multiple lettuce types have also been shown to promote sleep. Until further research is conducted, it's unknown if lettuce in its natural form can produce a similar effect. But I am one to attest that I think lettuce is good for us. And so today, I want to give you a five-model approach, and I'm calling it the lettuce approach. It's a different kind of lettuce, and it comes from the book of Hebrews 10, 20 through through 25. I just keep that one up there. And uh, in order to really understand the charge here of lettuce, um, I decided to uh, use the message version of this. It says, so let us do it full of belief. Uh, go to the next slide, please. Is it up? There should be one more slide up there. So I want them to be able to see it. Uh, slide two, Hebrews 10, 20 through 25. No problem. So let us do it full of belief confident that we're presentable inside and out. And let us keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always keeps his word. And let us see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out. And let us not avoid worshiping together as some do, but let us spur each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. See, there's five lettuce. And I brought five lettuce today. So I'm gonna hand out a lettuce in hopes that you'll remember the five lettuce approach fold. The first one is let us draw near to God. Oops. 
I had a really cool PowerPoint, but we are definitely having some technical difficulties today, and that's just the devil. That's spiritual warfare, and we're just gonna keep going anyway, and I can send you my PowerPoint if you really wanna see all the cool pictures that were on there of lettuce, of course. <laughs> uh, let us draw near to God. There are four conditions given for drawing near to God. The first one is a sincere heart. The people of Israel drew near to God with their mouth and honored him with their lips, but their heart was often far from him. This is from Matthew 15, 8. See, our approach should be with utter, utter sincerity and an undivided allegiance in the inner being. And also full assurance of faith. Yep, that was the verse. One more. Yes, awesome. God is good. Full assurance of faith. We draw near with confidence in the promises of God and with firm conviction that we will have a gracious reception into his presence. This comes from Ephesians 3.12. And what it's basically saying is it's a faith that knows no hesitation in trusting and following Christ. And of course, our hearts should be sprinkled from a guilty conscience. When we trust Christ, we see how important the value of his blood is. Figuratively speaking, we sprinkle our hearts with it, just like the Israelites, if you remember, sprinkled their doors with the blood of the Passover lamb. In conclusion there, there should be total freedom from a sense of guilt based on the one and only sacrifice of Christ. Because Christ came and poured out his blood on the cross. You should not live with a guilty conscience because God has covered over that. And finally, bodies washed with pure water. This is just the first of the lettuce approaches, but there's sub, subdivided things right in this first command of let us draw near to God. Let us draw near God with bodies washed with pure water. Our bodies represent our lives and, our pure water and the pure water refers to the word and maybe even the Holy Spirit. Nonetheless, the Holy Spirit uses the word to cleanse our lives from daily defilement. We're cleansed once and for all from the guilt of sin by the death of Christ, amen? There's a cleansing. I tell my kids in class that they need a spiritual shower every single morning. Just like your kids have a shower, right, or a bath at night. Every day there's this sanctification process where we need to start over and we need to have a daily renewal. It's a spiritual shower. We need to be cleansed daily, repeatedly from the defilement of sin by the Holy Spirit through his word. Your word is truth, sanctified your word, right? Therefore, if I can just, I know that was a lot, sincere heart, full assurance, heart sprinkled, bodies washed. I'm gonna give you four S's to remember. Number one, sincerity. Number two, self-assurance. Number three, salvation. Number four, sanctification. So the first let us is let us draw near to God. Which one is it? Let us you get the first one. Yeah! It's fresh. I kept it fresh for you. All right. The second lettuce we're going to talk about is let us hold unswervingly to the hope. So I get another lettuce out. Nothing must be allowed to turn us from the hope that we have in Christ. The NKJV says, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. The believer's confident expectations of the future, right there. So what is he saying? What's he saying in the book of Hebrews? Don't let anything wrench your hope from your hands. Hold on to it. Hold on to the hope. Yeah, you say that, Doug, but like how do I hold on to the hope, right? How do we actually do that? How do we live as hope-filled people in a hopeless world? Because our world is, it's struggling these days. But I have an answer to that. How do we live as hope-filled people? We rest on he who promised us that is faithful. As a child of God, your hope doesn't rest on your resourcefulness, but your hope rests on God's faithfulness. And we have a faithful God, amen? 
Let me read that again. As a child of God, those that have put their hope in Christ, your hope doesn't rest on your resourcefulness, something you're going to muster up, but your hope rests on God's faithfulness. And just in case you wanted a little bit of extra on that, here's some verses. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jeremiah 31, 34, sins that he's forgiven are sins that he's what? Yeah, in uh, Psalms it says, he's forgiven our sins as far as the east is from the west. He throws them into the depths of the ocean. He puts them on his back and remembers them no more. John three sixteen. of course, if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we'll have eternal life. That's a great promise. John 10, 28, once we receive the gift of eternal life, no one can snatch it out of your hand. For the Father and Jesus Christ are one, and no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. And of course, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, one that I love, and one we're talking about a lot in our youth group right now. We're uh, learning about weakness and how it can actually be a strength if we understand it correctly. When we're weak, he is strong. We all know the Jesus uh, loves me song, right? They are weak, but he is strong. It's elementary, and yet we still need to be reminded of it. God's promises will never fail. No one who trusts in him will ever be disappointed. The Savior will come as he's promised, and his people will be with and like him forever. That's from 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. And furthermore, God is encouraging us to hold tenaciously to that hope, the hope we have in God. A hope that doesn't show itself in the way we live is ultimately worthless. Hope that doesn't show itself in a way of living in the true hope of Jesus is worthless. We just sang about our living hope. We should be celebrating that. What's the most, imp- like, I, I talked to my kids in my class and I asked them, what's the one thing you notice about a non-believer versus a believer? And it takes them a bit, but really honestly, it is that they don't understand what true hope looks like in the midst of ad- adversity or, or anything in their life. They don't ha- can't rest on the hope of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. What good is hope though if it doesn't impact our daily life? So verse 24 continues us on and tells us the difference that that hope makes. So our second let us is let us hold unswervingly to the hope. I love that word unswervingly. Oh, hold on on that one just for a second. I love that unswervingly because I don't know about you, but sometimes when I drive the go-karts at like uh, Boomers or K1, I'm swerving a little bit. Like I can't quite keep my, 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 my solid, like keep it idle the whole time straight, right? He's telling us no swerving. It's an unswerving hope in Jesus Christ. So let us consider, or I'm sorry, let us hold unswervingly to the hope. Let's see, I'm going to try to get way out here. Let's see who can catch lettuce. Do you want it? Nice. All right. It was the first time for everything, throwing lettuce in church, right? New church. Jen was like, I don't think you should throw lettuce in church. I'm like, babe, it's all wrapped up. Come on. This is my favorite one. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. This is one of my favorite Bible verses. And when Tom and I were milling over uh, messages, I actually didn't say this one at all. And then I think God just put it on my heart. Isn't it interesting that Tom's uh, chose the Bible verse, Hebrews 10, 25, for our, our verse of the month? He did not share that with me. He's been in Florida all week. So isn't it crazy how the Lord works? Here's lettuce number three. Let us consider how we may spur one another. Many of you know what a spur is, right? It's used to kick the horse into gear, give him a little gentle nudge. Here's two of my favorite that I think just spur each other on. On the right, you have Harry and, and Lloyd, right, from Dumb and Dumber. 
right? And I mean, Lloyd even took care of Petey not even having a head. If you've seen that movie, the, the, the dead parakeet didn't have a head. And so he, he uh, of course, he took duct tape and duct taped it back on. And so those of you who are like, I don't watch movies like that, try watching a movie like that every once in a while. It actually is a gut laugh. It's a good fun one. But they spur each other on. They get into all sorts of things together. There's a scene where they're doing manicures and pedicures together. They're in like these ridiculous outfits. And yet there's this joy, this spurring one another on. And of course, who doesn't think Pam and Jim are the most iconic spurring one another? That's just one of many pictures I could have picked about them. So these are just some examples, but think of what God says. He says, God's purpose for your life is that you would be moved by hope that is in you to encourage others to be more loving. Encourage others to do good deeds. Encourage others to be more like Christ. Affirming, spurring. Um, this is a place where we really need to think about. In the book of Hebrews, there, the, the author is saying, love is no longer an emotion, Love is an act of will. We're commanded to love. We can and we must do it in order to encourage and spur one another on. I say this a lot in my Barnhouse class. Barnhouse is a Bible class I teach in sixth grade. Um, love is the root and works are the fruit, right? Uh, love is the root and works are the fruit. Or as many say, faith is the root and works are the fruit, right? But there's this idea that God is leading us, leading by example, and he's telling us to stir others on towards this kind of life, this encouraging kind of life. And note, I, I found this in my, in my reference of my Bible. It said that love and good works have to be stirred up. Um, they can't just occur side by side. They must be stirred up together. And if you watch these two couples here, um, they definitely stir things up. They, they feed off of each other, right? The Greek word for stirred up, hopefully I say this correctly, paroxysm, Yes, which means convulsion. It's like this, it, it means, uh, the words speak forcefully of this tremendous impact that believers can have on each other. Just take for a moment, some one time in your life or many times in your life where you were having a bad day and all of a sudden someone encouraged you. They said a word of affirmation. They said something, they sent you a text. They uh, made a phone call out of the blue. And like that right there just did something to you. It, it probably filled your tank a little bit, but then maybe it gave you a little bit of hope and then it encouraged you and stirred you up to encourage someone else. It's that kind of pay it forward thing, right? So the, the third lettuce is let us consider how we may spur one another on toward loving good deeds. Let's see, who's a really good encourager? Keegan, you ready? Nice job. Okay, and now we get to the last two, and these are the ones that Pastor Tom was just talking to us about. So, number four, let us not give up meeting together. The Greek word for give up means deserted or abandoned. That's why the author exhorts, encourages the Hebrews to gather together, to not forsake the assembly together. This is what Tom just spoke on. This is what Sherry Whirl at Stony Brook just preached at chapel on Thursday for all of you that have kids at Stony Brook. I don't think it's by accident. I believe it's Holy Spirit led that we all have this on our heart right now for such as a time as this that we need to meet together and not give up meeting together. Amen? And I'm gonna share some reasons why. Evidently, some of the believers had stopped attending the worship services of the church. Maybe perhaps they feared persecution. The Greek word for church is ecclesia. 
ecclesia, ecclesia. Do you know that it's used 103 times in the New Testament alone? I tell my kids, if you hear it once or twice, it's important in God's word. How about 103 times? I think that's probably important. It implies, one more time, ecclesia, ecclesia. Implies the spiritual body of believers. And in this verse, it really emphasizes specifically the word synagogue too which means local physical gathering of believers. See, I talk to people all the time and they're like, yeah, I go to church. Like I get up in the morning and we go have brunch with our family. That's not church. Yeah, I go to church. Uh, My kids go to a Christian school and they learn about Jesus in their Bible classes. That's not church. Those things are amazing. Don't get me wrong. That's spiritual growth. I'm not saying that, but that is secondhand experience to being right here in community together. You can't get the same experience. Am I right? And, and we've been urging you more and more to think about why church is important. I, I want to read from the message again, especially because when I wrote this message a while back, I was sharing it with youth kids, and they love the message, the paraphrase of Eugene Peterson. So forgive me that I'm not reading out the New King James today. Uh, it says in Acts 242 through 47, it says, I think there, yeah, there it is. That day about 3,000 took him at his word. They were baptized and were signed up. They committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, the common meal, and the prayers. Everyone around was in awe. All those wonders and signs done through the apostles and all the believers lived in a wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned and they pulled all their resources so that each person's need was met. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home, every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. People in general liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added those who were saved. I would love to have been there at that time and been in what's called an Acts 242 type of church. And I think that we're never going to be able to quite resemble that, but we can try. We can start doing life together, not just here in church, but you can start maybe finding some different families that you have the same type of interest in and get together, have a meal together, pray together, maybe sing some worship together, um, do something mission-wise together. But we need to do life together. We need to stop uh, giving up meeting together as the world is trying to tell us. I got a few more things to say about this one. This is the one I'm most passionate about, so stay with me. The early church should be a model to live by. We're encouraged to continue to meet together and not desert fellowship. I have a few stats from the book by Ken Ham called Already Gone. 64% of today's young adults from the age of 18 to 30 that had been churched at one point during their teen years are now spiritually disengaged, not actively attending any form of church, reading the Bible, or even praying. This was from his book, but it was a Barna research. See, church is supposed to be a community of people. Go to the next slide for me, please. Church is supposed to be a community of people whose lives are empowered, directed, and energized by personal interaction with the Word of God and with each other. I want to make sure you understand that. Community, so important. And for those of you who are like, that's just not me. I just like doing things solo-mish. And Tom talked a little bit about that last week. But community is so important because it allows our lives to be entangled with one another and we're empowering each other, we're directing each other, and we're energized by each other and by the word of God. Amen? So not even when you hang out with friends, I just had a little birthday party with some of, some of my guy friends, some of my accountability group, some of the men in this church. We all got together. And my main reason for doing it was so we could talk about Jesus. 
so that we could spur one another on so we could sharpen one another. I didn't really care what we ate or what we did. I wanted us to be a group together where we weren't forgetting to meet as some are in the habit of doing. And we slow down and we talk about life and do life together. Ken Ham is saying the same thing about church. It's personal interaction with the word of God first and then with each other. Bible, grace, and family. That's Coast Bible Church. Isn't that interesting? Bible and family. Community is personal interaction with the word of God and with each other. Check out some statistics from the Pew Research Center. Here's the top nine reasons of not going to church today. Number one, people practice their faith in other ways. I was having a conversation the other day with someone and they said that their church is getting up and having brunch with their family and then going to the beach. And as much as I love that, that is not what God has called us to do. You can do those things after church. There needs to be community first. Check number two, they're just not believers at all. Number three, they have other things and other things I'm guessing would be sports. Sports is a big one these days. Trips. 26% say, that's a quarter of the population is saying they have other things to do. Number four, they haven't found a house of worship they like. Come here, we throw lettuce at you. It's the best. They don't like the sermons. Again, Tom's great. Yeah. They don't feel welcome. Oh, I don't want anyone to walk out of this church. Not, and that would be bad on our part as pastoral staff and as people of this church and congregation if you don't feel welcome. We're not doing our part then. We need to do more. And it starts with all of us. Um, they don't have the time. I always tell people, my kids will give me excuses in class. I don't have time to do that. I'm like, did you know we all have the same time in a day? They don't quite love that. Um, I go, it's what you fill your day with. It's what you fill your day with. Uh, it could just be poor health or their, or their mobility. They just can't, they can't come anymore. Or even 7% said, I don't really have house of worship in our area. See, Orange County has some of the most amazing churches. So that is just, as my kids would say, that's cap. That's false. We have to be able to know that there's a reason to be in church and in community. So why is it important to stay in fellowship? Number one, to grow spiritually. As iron sharpens iron, so one man and woman sharpens another. To give and share. We have gifts, spiritual gifts. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves, but build our neighbors up. That's from Romans. That's just one verse in Romans that talks about that. And also, how could we ever help others and know their needs if we're not here in fellowship with one another? That's a huge one. I will not be able to use my gifts and be able to meet the needs of others if I'm not in church on a regular basis. Number three, of course, is to worship God. And when we say worship God, that doesn't mean you have to stand up and lift up your hands and sing songs, although we'd love you to do that. Worship is so much bigger than that. Worship is, 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 a, is a spiritual act of, of your daily life, of everything you do. So it's walking through the doors, it's through your fellowship, it's through your prayer time, it's through uh, your community time, it's through sharing a meal with people, it's through singing worship songs, it's through doing missions trips. We need to give and share with one another. Galatians 6.10 says to bear one another's burdens. I think Coast Bible Church does a pretty good job of that. If you're new, just know that we're, we're available. If there's anything you need, we want to help meet that need. And of course, to celebrate and enjoy, right? I would hope that at times you'd come out of church and say, I love church this morning. My girls aren't here this morning. They're in Sunday school, but they never want to miss church. They love church. 
they have so much fun. And as they're getting older and I see them here in the front worshiping, it's such a joy to see them enjoy being in the presence of God in community. Amen? So um, there's another quote here that I, that I said, it's necessary to find a group of individuals that prioritize the sharing of the word of God, teach how to defend the Christian faith, and uphold the authority of the word in today's world and live by the principle of the word of God. This is from Ken Ham also. So what should be the criteria of fellowship? Grow spiritually. Can you grow spiritually at our church? If you can't, please come talk to us. We want to help you wrestle with the heavy things, the hard things, get in God's word, and use the things in your life to be filtered by the truth of God's word. Can you learn? Can you learn? Is Is there not just a loving the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and your strength, but also with your mind? Are you being tested? Are you being challenged? And can you give and share and use your gifts? These are all scriptural things. I have this phrase, I use it in everything, but honestly, I think my parents instilled it in me. It's called not an option. Have you ever used that with your kids before? My parents used to tell me, church is not an option. We go to church on Sunday. I had to forego a lot of sports and a lot of things so that I'd be in church. Uh, Not waking up in the morning, not an option, as you tell your kids. School, not an option. In fact, during the week, I tell the girls, School is what you do during the week. That's your work. That's your worship to the Lord. It's just not an option. Of course, I have a few other things. Like for me, when the bell, when the, when the alarm goes off early in the morning, I tell myself, not an option to not go work out. Right? Because we can easily hit the snooze and go right back. It helps that I pay for my class so that because I'm too cheap to like actually cancel it and lose the money. So that helps. But we need to set those kind of things in our life where we tell ourselves and have discipline and we, we don't just try, but we train. This is a new thing I'm do, doing right now. I'm not just trying to do things, I'm training myself to do things. This is not an option. And, and the last and final one is, of course, encouraging one another. So we, we had, a, our fourth one was um, not giving up meeting together. Okay, let's see. Let's see, not giving up meeting together. I need another person. Let's see. Josh, you got this, bud. Ready? Nice. Josh, I'm loving the facial hair, by the way, man. Looks good. Last one is just, we've already spurred one another on, and now we're going to encourage one another. It's like, it's repetitive almost. Here's this big word, exhort, coming alongside and inspiring your life to Jesus, uh, coming alongside inspiring one another with the truth. We need to find strength, comfort, nourishment, and joy in our fellowship with others. Here's a few of my pictures that I put up when I thought of encouraging one another. On the left was my 40th birthday and a lot of my, my, my brothers in Christ, my brotherhood. I call them the hood because we're a brotherhood, right? These are men that lift me up. These are people that sharpen me. These are people that pray for me. When I told them I was going to preach this morning, I sent them the text and they're like, we're praying for you. We're on it. Do you have people like that in your life? Do you have a brotherhood or a sisterhood or people that you can go to that can encourage you? Because there's people right here at this church would love that. Of course, my wife. I mean, outside of the church, she's the most incredible encourager and lifter upper, and she's my biggest fan, and she allows me to do what I do. And the reason I am who I am is because a lot of it is because of Jen, right outside of Jesus and my parents. And of course, on the, on the right side there is my, my Stony Brook fam. I'm a school teacher by day, and uh, this is us uh, going out to lunch. On Fridays, we go out to lunch, or we'll bring lunch in. And uh, for birthdays, we uh, get whatever their special lunch is and we go around and we affirm that person and we encourage those people and we lift each other up. And those that have worked at Stony Brook or are working at Stony Brook or are listening online right now that have been praying for me this morning, 
they know that we're a family and we have each other's back and we encourage one another. Knowing Christ, knowing that Christ one day will return, we are to encourage each other all the more to remain faithful to him. We have to remain faithful to him. So I put up this picture as we close our time. Which group are you in? As Tom shared last week, and I'm stealing again, are you the one on the left that's doing this solo mish, as I call it? I think he talked about Han Solo last week, but I call it the solo mish. Are you isolating yourself from believers so that there's no accountability, no growth, and you don't want the truth spoken into your life? Because God calls us for that. Or are you in community? Are you doing life together? Encouraging, eating, serving, learning, praying, praising, growing, going to, uh, uh, if you're in a group like this, maybe you even show up to uh, support for different things, whether it's a sporting event or a birthday or a celebration of what not. Are you the one on the left right now that's like, I come to church, we come and we're here, that's the first step and praise the Lord. But like, what's gonna keep you coming back? That you come here by yourself and do a solo mission and then you walk right out the doors? Or that you have community to celebrate and do life with? It's time to avoid the excuses, friends. Church is boring, it's irrelevant, I needed a break, I don't have time, we have sports, we're on vacation, I have work, I have school, I don't feel good, I didn't feel like it. Because what happens is, is if you don't come one time, then your mind trains to not come a second week and then a third week, and that's what it is. It's isolation, and isolation is what the devil wants. He wants to separate you from God. I love this quote. 30% of all the people who've broken fellowship and left the church don't know if they're coming back or not. As Dumb and Dumber would say, so you're saying there's a chance. Those of you know, right? That's not a statement of indecision, friends. That's a statement of possibility. It's just one conversation. Bill's been teaching me this. Always ask. If you get rejected, that's okay, right, Bill? Bill asked me to come to Bible study. I didn't reject him. I went to Bible study, and it's been the greatest thing I ever did. I asked my dad to come to Bible study, and after a little bit of frauding, he showed up. He's been four or five years now. We need to continue to invite, continue to ask. Do you know about manatees? Like manatees, they're like, they're in Florida, apparently. I have one last closing story. This is from CNN, February 2022. There should be a cool picture right there, yep. Florida's manatees, which are dying at an alarming rate, largely from starvation, are being treated to 3,000 pounds of lettuce as part of a new feeding program that state wildlife officials say is showing signs of success. An average of 350 manatees a day are now coming to eat the greens being distributed at a temporary field response station in Cape Canaveral along Florida's east coast. See, the program was launched earlier this year as officials worked to address the unusual manatee mortality Last year, more than 1,000 manatees in the state died. The highest recorded number of manatee deaths in decades. Officials said they have increased the amount of food they are distributing to roughly 20,000 pounds of vegetation a week, primarily romaine and butter leaf lettuce. Let us not give up meeting together this summer in the habit of doing. You ready, Kevin? I got it. Officials 
say they've increased the amount of food they're distributing, and the produce has nutrients and digestible carbohydrates that the animals need. The animals need them. Look at that picture. They need them. At this point in time, we have been successful. Manatees are eating the romaine. We are exposing large amount of animals to this food source, and we are making a difference. Can you imagine if we started throwing a little lettuce to the people around us, either in this community of this church or outside of here in our neighborhood, and we started to encourage them, we started to spur them on, we started to uh, remind them not to give up, we reminded them to hold on to the hope that they have in Jesus, remind them to uh, draw near to God. Those are the five things we need to do, folks. Let's show the last slide. This is the lettuce we desperately need. Let us draw near to God. Let us hold unswervingly to hope. Let us consider how we may spur one another on. Let us not give up meeting together and let us encourage one another. I leave you with that challenge today. And I hope that somehow throwing heads of lettuce out there, you'll remember these five lettuce. Let's pray. (sighs) Gracious God, you are so good. And God, we are so grateful for your word. It brings truth to our lives. God, thank you for the hope that we have in you. Thank you for the encouragement that we find in others. Thank you for the love that you bestow on each and every one of us. God, I pray for this congregation. I pray that we would look outward. Obviously, we want to be inwardly renewed. But God, once we're poured into God, we need to pour out. We need to be filled so that we can fill others, that we can encourage others, that we can invite others in to something special, community. God, all those that are in solo mish, God, I pray, Lord, for their hearts, that you would bring them to a place of community. God, and I pray that we would leave knowing that there's a chance every single day and an opportunity for us to bring glory to your name by bringing people into the fold. Lord, we love you. We give you all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.